Welcome, everybody, to episode 7 of Podcana. My name is Matt DeMarco, a.k.a. Flake. I'm joined, as always, by Brendan Patrick. We're going to bring you some news, some headlines, and discuss the game of Podcana. What's up, buddy? Yeah, I mean, it's a big episode. We are off the back of the which were released. I was able to play a quite a bit of Lakana. Honestly, I think I played as much Lakana as there is to play. I played with all the cards, played all the different color combinations, uh, was mid-maxing a bit, all the good stuff. So a bunch of my friends were playing as well. Um, for anybody listening, we played on a digital emulator, which is untapped.in. Very easy to import the images uh, and do it like that. I saw some people playing in paper, which is definitely more enjoyable, but a lot more work. Um, so yeah, we're going to be breaking that down, breaking down the rules, and breaking down Lorcana as a game, because I think we do have enough to actually evaluate the game. It is a small card pool, but if you look at the cards that we're playing with, um, they, most of them are actually represented on the front of the boxes, on the front of the starter deck, so they are marquee key cards, it does seem. And I think we do, even if that wasn't the case, we do have enough cards to actually look into the, the mechanics, the gameplay, and be like, um, you know, what do we think about this? Sounds good. All right, let's rock and roll. We got the Elsa Icebreaker. Elsa? Do you want to build a snowman? Yeah, and so this week it's from Pol- the Polish guy, or Rich G, and they say, which of the seven drawer, uh, which of the seven dwarfs would you refuse to live with? Flake, I'll let you start this one off. So I was, I thought about this, and I was like, okay, the, the, the biggest hurdle was actually naming all seven. Yeah, I was going to say, can you name them? Yeah, so Grumpy, Sleepy, Dopey, Bashful, Doc, I think. I think I'm missing, like, two. It, there's, like, I don't know, like, Creepy and, like, uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what the other, the other dude's names are. Um, I got to say, like, I was thinking about it, like, Grumpy seems like the easiest answer. But to me, I feel like Grumpy would be the dude who would probably leave you alone the most. Uh, Sleepy seems like the one who would be, you'd have to like tiptoe around the house and given the fact that I work from here and I'm always talking to a microphone, that could be problematic. It would probably be bashful. Like the dude who just doesn't want to bother you, you know, like Mm -hmm. would just be like shy and just alone. The problem there would be like, if you were, if, if there was, if you needed some sort of decisive moment from them, like, what are we eating tonight? Or what movie do you want to watch? They'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. I'd be like, that would get on my nerves. But I think out of all, like, I don't know what Doc does. So. No, do I. <laughs> I'll take the easier round and say Grumpy. Um, honestly, yeah, I, probably, I wouldn't have been able to name all the seven drawers just, just off, just off the top there. Um, but yeah, for like headlines, obviously gameplay, uh, sort of, you know, rules released, gameplay obviously follows that. We were able to play the game. Uh, we did have some new cards get released. The first is an Amethyst card, which is Yzma. Uh, Dreamboard Villain Sorcerer. It's a 2-2. It costs 2, um, and it can be used for a resource, which is what the sort of <laughs> things around the resource mean now. So if you see the 2 and it has the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, decoration around it, that means it can be turned into a, a resource for the turn. Uh, and then it says the ability is you're excused whenever this character quests, look at the top card of your deck, put it on either the top or the bottom of your deck, and it has one pip. Um, after that, we had, well, Flake, let's get your thoughts on this card. What, what do you think about this card? Because I think I look at this card, and I'm like, okay, I can, you know, Lorcana 60-card decks, draw seven cards, draw one card a turn. You know, that's a high-variance game. It is, right? We got four card uh, four card maximum, all these other s- sort of rule sets. And I look at something like, you know, top of the bottom of the deck as an ability to potentially filter. What do you think of that ability? Do you think that that is powerful enough for a, a, a two-resource, two-two body with one pip? 
So we were discussing this in previous episodes where we're talking about like, hey, there's no going to be there's going to be no land system in here. So uh, the majority of the deck or all of the deck, frankly, are going to be playable cards for the most part. Sixty cards. I don't think you'll ever get through the sixty cards. You played a lot. Like, how mm -hmm. deep into these decks did you get? So one, uh, it really depends on the matchup. Um, I th there was uh, a couple decks. I, I would say it was like two decks where we did get down to you know thirty ish cards, and those were very very long games where both players had multiple magic mirrors, which is a item that draws you cards. So I mean we were, and that was I mean those were the longest games we played by far. So getting to actual zero, I think extremely unlikely unless there is a opposing strategy that is forcing you to go that route. So that said, uh, cards like this I think are going to be super important for that exact reason. Where, but the other part about this that really kind of gives me a, a head scratch is like the deck building restriction in this game is what four copies of each yep so the way i'm thinking about it is like why not make it three copies of each and sort of shave the 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 size of the deck down to like 50 cards let's say uh but may, there's got to be some sort of science or balance to this otherwise ultimately a card like this i think is important when like you said you're in the longer games that you've played, you only got through 50% of your actual deck, right? So having mm -hmm. a card that can dig is super important. Um, it's not necessarily discarding. It's just, you know, looking. It's sort of opting or, or scrying for cards that you want. I think that's a very important mechanic in a game that on the, the outliers are you'll see 50% of your deck. Yeah, so my experience with this card is it's actually one of the worst cards I've played with <laughs> by far, and there's it's for a couple of reasons which are important to note. Um, first of all, it's one pip, so it's going to be two two resources for a one pip trade off, which is fine. But you have one resource cards that trade off for two pips, like uh, Maleficent in the ex the same color, which is Amethyst. Also, the the defense of two is a pretty bad break point, so. It's pretty often that you'll see uh, the defensive, like the base defensive breakpoint that you want to go for seems to be three. And then four is like, that's a big butt. Like once you get to four, that's a big butt and usually has to be cleared by a larger resource costed creature or um, you're, you're, you know, you're trading into it with two, with two things. So um, yeah, two, two. So on the attack end, it doesn't clear those, those frequent uh, three defense cards that your opponent will have. And it also has a two uh, a two defense, which means it's going to be getting cleared by your opponent's one drops. So we look at the ability, which is whenever it quests. So that's effectively when you cash in the lore on this, which is at the end of your turn. But when you do that, you exhaust the card, and that opens it up to be cleared or to be attacked by your opponent on the following turn. And a two-two, it basically is just going to get wrecked immediately. And you know, this early in the game. Um, your opponent is likely going to be able to effectively trade with the card, you know, just taking a few damage counters, not trading one for one. And you really only get one activation out of this card I've found so far. But one of the reasons why this card is statted this way is because of the flexibility of being able to be put down as a resource. There's a huge balance in Lorcana when building your deck about how many cards you put in your deck that can't be turned into resources because those cards are very dangerous to have in hand um, because they're effectively dead cards if you can't play them. If they're high-cost cards or maybe they're not relevant to the board right now, you literally just sit with dead cards in hand. It's pretty rough. Well, that's the thing, right? Because when it quests, you basically exert it, and then it becomes <laughs> open. And so I'm, I'm really wondering how long a card like this will stay uh, on the board. Yeah, I. so the, when I look at a card like Yzma, I see the opinion. This is an ability I want to repeat multiple times for the cost of the card, and I think that that is just something that doesn't happen in 
quote unquote modern day Lorcana, which is you know the few cards we have. And with the cards that you have in the game right now, you can build a playable deck in, in every single color and every single combination for what it's worth. But um, yeah, that ability is likely only being activated once. It's a good ability though. I mean, in uh, so far in this game, because we're just slapping all the cards together, usually in a single color, there are cards that are definitely a lot better than others and digging to those cards is important. Um, so there was tons of, of reveals because the videos that came out, etc., had a lot of uh, new cards in them and Lorcana has been, you know, uh, just kind of sprinkling new mm. new content on us. So we'll do our best to go through as many as we can here. But the other thing ab about this is uh, I want to give props to uh, Lorcania.com for the images and making sure that that is all uh, up to par. The next card, though, is uh, just in time. I took like, I, I, I sort of primered like three or four of them just mm -hmm. the cards of interest that that would be interesting and this is the one that i've looked at which is just in time you may play a character with cost five or less for free so it's essentially you can kind of ramp up a five cost for three mm -hmm. on this yeah and there's actually a specific so you want to be ramping which is moana which is actually one of the most broken cards in the game. And well, I can deconstruct that one for you and why, because it, it doesn't look like it at the start. Um, but yeah, this card, because it can be turned to a resource, in my opinion, is unplayable on the, <laughs> so far, unless you really think that if you if you sort of ramp out uh, Moana on turn three, that you're automatically going to win the game. Outside of that, I would rather just play for board and then play Moana on turn five, most likely. Um you know, playing things uh, faster than their intended curve in this game is really, really good. Because uh, shift is like crazy, by the way. Like shift is an incredible mechanic. But I wouldn't put an additional card like this, which is going to frequently be a completely dead draw that also cannot be turned into a resource. Just in time is like one of the only cards in the game that I actually like wasn't putting into my decks. Um, in the perfect scenario where you draw this on turn three and you have a Moana in hand, yeah, it's good. But uh, the fact that it doesn't have the modality to be a resource, it's just, it doesn't do enough. Like, you'll see the cards that don't don't turn into resources. They're good, and this is not that. Well, that's the other sort of hindrance of this, is right, is they don't have the ability to become resources. So you yeah. kind, this card needs to be paired up with another card, and it does and nothing And this card else. is dead, right? This yeah. card dies. Like, so if we we'll look at other cards that, can't be turned to resources but they're creatures they can be played they have an effect etc this card is dead like if you don't have a five cost card which you know if we have every card available to us and we're building a deck around this shouldn't happen but uh yeah i mean this is one of the only cards that's just like it, it literally just rots in your hand and it provides no value unless you run into that that scenario like you got to play this on like at three for a or better four. yeah yeah that's for a it. better for a better costed unit otherwise it's complete garbage yeah so mm -hmm. i i'm with you on that one Next up is we have another iteration of Mickey Mouse. I think that there's like been five uh, that have been released. There's one in every color, yeah. Yeah, so this one is uh, Mickey Mouse Detective. He's coming in in Sapphire, I believe it is. And uh, get a clue. When you play this character, you may put the top card of your deck into your inkwell face down and exert it. So the question is, is the exertion part, I guess that just means that you can't activate it for resources on the particular turn it is. But it's a three cost, a one, three, one lore. What was your experience with this? Uh, I mean, this card is good because there is definitely an archetype 
that I think is actually the second best deck in the game, which is Blue Red or Sapphire Ruby Ramp. Um, and yeah, this card is good because I mean you can play this card in turn five. It's still it's still still a hit, still relevant. It's got that three defense butt that we talk about. It cashes in for one pip. Um, and there's a reason why it doesn't turn into a resource because it is that powerful. It effectively generates a resource when you play it. Uh, but yeah, I think that this card is sort of a it'll go and probably most sapphire decks i think that there are some other sapphire cards interestingly that do the same thing but are actions uh let me go find the name of the card because this is particularly interesting um sorry i'm just scrolling through but basically there's an action card that ramps you uh here it is and it, it also doesn't turn into a resource it's called one jump ahead it costs two resources uh, it's a song sorry so either exert a two cost character or you exert a character or a two cost can do it for free and it says put the top card of your deck uh, into your inkwell face down exerted this card for in my opinion it, they look very similar but this card sucks because um because if you draw this on the wrong turn you basically like i found multiple times where i was playing blue or uh, ruby sapphire ramp and i was trying and i wanted to ramp into like a into like a maleficent or something and i would effectively time walk myself because that thing came in exerted so it wasn't like netting me additional an additional resource you need to actually get this thing out quickly and then if you draw this later in the game when you're not ramping, this card is super dead. Where, on the contrary, Mickey Mouse is still a live draw. Um, and, like, you can reasonably play Mickey Mouse to just get a body on board and threaten another lore. So, um, yeah. Mickey Mouse, very good card. So the question now is, like, given the fact that you played you played all the colors, right? Like, you played, yeah. you played a ton. I haven't had a chance to actually get down and dirty. I've watched some games. I've, you know, become familiar with the rule set and everything. Um we can probably throw in some extra cards as we're sort of discussing things of, of note, but mm. just discussing the rules in general and the big reveal. I know that this is something that I have been beating the drum about is like release the damn rules already. And we've, we got them. So that's, that's the good news is that we have the rules and my initial impression of the rules were there needs to be some more fascinating cards. I think that come up because, but like the, the tug of war I had in my mind was like, what is gonna what is gonna separate this from other other things, IP aside? What is gonna make this game special? And then I looked at something like Hearthstone, for example. And Hearthstone's tagline or its its appeal, its mantra even was, you know, deceptively simple but, you know, difficult to master. Because right? the rules mm -hmm. for Hearthstone are incredibly, you know, bare bones simple and. To be fair, I mean, they they basically explained to you the entire game in a seven-video series where I think the total runtime of all seven videos is like four minutes or something like that. Like, it's, it's ridiculously short. So you can learn the game. But I think what it needs is it needs more intriguing cards like, mm -hmm. let's say, more cards like Aladdin. You know, uh, the shift Aladdin, the the one that steals lore points from your opponent and things like that. Yeah. It, it needs more unique interactions. <laughs> lore interaction, yeah. That's, yeah, it's a, that's a. Don't let me forget about that because we need to touch on that. <laughs> right. Lore interaction. Well, well, we can talk about it right now. The, uh, like, I I had a few notes that I wrote down about things that I really hope to see in this game and and things I wanted the game to either explore or avoid. And for me, lore interaction is one of the key elements that I think that should not be necessarily overdone but i think that perhaps it's something that maybe one of these ink identities should really dig into pretty hef like heavily yeah so i want to address something 
Hearthstone is like I think that some people look at Lorcana and look at the systems that they that they've sort of built the game off of, and they think it might play similar to Hearthstone. It doesn't at all. And Hearthstone uh, combat is very primary to the game. I would say combat in Lorcana is secondary or even tertiary. Like it's very not relevant, which is why the damage counters are not annoying. Um, when I say it's not relevant, it's not that it doesn't happen. It's just there's more of a push and pull between uh, questing and doing that what i sorry i have to you know really think about what i say because i'm using the terms from other card games often when i'm talking about these things like, sure. so it is reaping from keyforge but here it's questing but yeah most of the push and pull is going off between questing and then after that you're really just value trading and there's like there's specific breakpoints when you're building lore obviously because you're trying to get to 20 but um yeah it doesn't play anything like hearthstone first off and um I think for a good card game to exist, like the key mantra is simple to learn, hard to master. Actually, that's probably extends far past card games. And Hearthstone is that for sure. I think Hearthstone also pitched something to the card game community at the time, which is we fixed the land system, which I'm sure there were card games that did it before. But, you know, that Lorcana does it as well. If you're coming from Magic, it does fix the quote unquote fix the land system. But my pushback would be is that system has been fixed for 20 years. Like <laughs> nobody nobody thinks that you have to build a card game based off lands and this like feel bad variance where you don't get to play your cards. It's just it's not a thing. So it's not an actual innovation, but it is a part of Lorcana is like you do have a somewhat smooth <laughs> smoothing of resources. There is a tension between you know playing cards and putting them down right when you put a card down to become a resource it is card disadvantage so you know do i if my deck only has drops up to five in it am i gonna cash in the six the six uh the six resource probably not unless i plan on getting to 10 and i'm gonna be i'm gonna start double spelling and doing things like that so it is more interesting than just you know gaining a resource every turn but yeah, let's talk about lore interaction. Uh, let's talk about Aladdin specifically. Because I saw Aladdin, I was like, thank God. Um, but the problem with Aladdin is you have to shift him, I think. You have to get him out on turn five because you get him out. On... Obviously, it depends what deck you're playing on. But the thing about Aladdin is it says during your turn, whenever this character banishes another character in a challenge, you gain two lore and the opponent loses two lore. So you play Aladdin on turn seven, your opponent is likely on some higher amount of lore because turn seven is quite late in the game and then they're you know what they're going to do is they're not going to exhaust their creatures or, or sorry exhaust and quest for lore they're just going to build the creatures unexhausted and then exhaust them all at once because like if you're tr if you're allowing aladdin to get a value trade via your own player agency it's just a mistake now there is combos right you can play elsa into aladdin and tap their character or exert their character with elsa then kill it with aladdin but by turn seven i just did not find this thing to be super relevant the main thing that's relevant about aladdin is it's a five five two pip body so what aladdin does is it cashes in for two resource two 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 lore counters and then it's really hard for your opponent to kill a five five is really tough yeah. to kill but it also gets bane fired you know or sorry um dragon fired i always said bane fire uh so it does get spot removal but yeah the best thing about aladdin in my opinion which is the marquee lore interaction card for us right now is that it's a five five body that generates two lords you can you can quest with this and it's really hard for your opponent to answer they can't just immediately take it off the board which is what happens with most most creatures when you quest it immediately gets taken off the board yeah and this is why i think that a lot of people might have a misconception of what this game might look like where it at, on first glance once you read the rules you're thinking it's okay you're just gonna put a whole bunch of stuff on the board 
you're going to exert them gain lore whoever has more at the you know more creatures mm -hmm. is like it's it, there's an incentive for the player who's behind to trade and the player who's ahead to quest to a degree yeah. but i think that this is a, a particular card where once it gets jammed on the board it's like it's like one of those major turning points in a game where everything changes once yeah. once aladdin hits the board the the player who might be at you know exerting their creatures in order to gain lore are going to stop because it's now a, a net loss but at the same time like you mentioned a five five butt it, like a five five body is difficult to remove so maybe aladdin quests for two and then it two for one trades into yep, some of their boards exactly. so so i think that in terms of what this card wants to do i think the game text on it is just more of a threat than it is something yeah. in practice it's only on your turn, by the way, which it takes a little as well, which is so if it is two for one, hacking it, um, you know, it's not getting that value. One thing I want to say, because it's important you brought this up, is that people look at Lorcana and they'll look at the rules and they'll be like, okay, why don't I just build up characters on the board, not do anything, never attack, never quest, and then just boom, exert everything, get 20 at one time. Or exert everything, get 10, then have a couple things removed, do five. Because, like, let's say you're behind. My opponent has a better board than me. Um, and they don't want to do anything, right? They're, they're ahead on board, so therefore they can build to 20 lore. Let's say we're going to Exodia exert, right? Yeah. We're going to exert everything and get 20. Whoever's ahead is just going to win that race. But if you're behind, what do you do? You just exert. And now your opponent has to trade into you, right? Because like you've exerted, you, you've quested for lore. Now your opponent has to trade into you. And this is, this is the key turning point, is what happens in Lorcana is when your opponent wants to trade for one of your creatures you know, banish them, they have to also exert their character. So then now, on the following turn after that, you can now remove their character that went after yours. I do think, though, going first was a bit annoying. Going first did seem like a very big advantage. Uh, obviously, it's deck-dependent, but for most of the decks that we played, going first was pretty frustrating in terms of the advantage because of you know because you're progressing to the specific <laughs> the specific lore amount and it's hard for your opponent to force you sometimes to uh to actually interact that's always been the biggest balance aspect of a game is first versus second and every game kind of has their own way usually you get mm -hmm. like there's the coin system let's say of hearthstone or other games where you get that extra resource you get an extra card you don't draw on the first turn for example which i think is what Lorcana is doing this at, yeah. yeah um my question is is this like the mulligan system and how it's freaking ridiculous the mulligan system so Lorcana would be a ridiculously high variance game but um the mulligan system is extremely generous and the way the reason it is is because in a traditional mulligan system let's do london mulligan right which is the current mulligan system that magic uses um you draw seven cards you don't want them right you shuffle them back into your deck then you draw seven cards again then you put one on the bottom that's better than what Magic used to be. Magic used to be a, I don't know the old system's name, but it used to be draw seven cards, don't want them, shuffle them back, draw six cards. It was like, I think you know? it was called like the Vancouver system or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Lakana is that on steroids. <laughs> and the reason is because you draw seven, then you put as many as you want back on the bottom of your deck. And after that, you shuffle. So like, let's say I draw seven cards, I put five on the bottom. I've now... You know, I know the bottom five cards in my deck, which I'm not going to draw via my mold again. And now I draw five more cards. So you're able to dig towards like very specific cards and very specific, like, you know, having a turn one play in Lorcana, really important, it seems like. Because there's a lot of turn one cards that reap for two or 
quests for two lore, and that's really dangerous if you can't, an- if you so, can't answer that. L- let me ask you this. So the, just so I can clarify here, because the, mm. so the mulligan system as it exists right now is you draw seven. Uh-huh. You don't like six of those cards. You put six at the bottom. You draw yep. six, and then you shuffle? Yes, after. And... Unless we the... pl- unless we played wrong, which is I think unlikely. I'm pretty sure it's been played corrected, but yeah, okay. the system is. It just seems, but there's no penalty in terms of how many cards you can draw, right? Well, it stops after the f- no, no, no. So like, if I had seven, I could put seven on the bottom, draw seven. Right, but but there's no second mulligan, right? Like for example, no, no, no. in the London no, no. system, you, yeah, you yeah, put one, one down. But if you don't like those seven cards, you do it again yeah. and you put two under, and you keep getting penalized yeah. in that regard. Okay, but I, I think part of this is also the fact that. L- like all card games, they're trying to learn from the mistakes of their whatever the previous the predecessor is, and for the most part, it's Magic. And the various mm. like, and Magic's gone through a series of different mulligan systems to find whatever will, frankly, hit that outcome that they're looking for, which is non games. They want to avoid yeah. non games, and I think that what you mentioned here is like going first is so important, and it feels like such an advantage that. If you go for if you if your opponent goes first and establishes a board and you don't have a response and you have to wait a turn or two, it that's the non-game, right? It doesn't matter how many resources yeah. you can generate from the cards in your hand. It's the fact that you need to dig for those early those early drops. So it depends. Like obviously if you drop and you get something on turn three and then clear it, like that it's usually not the end of the game, but we found the games to be tight enough that it mattered. One thing I want to mention and regarding mulligans and why I think they use the system is mulliganing and magic feels bad. It does. It's a disadvantage. You would rather never mulligan. <laughs> In Lorcana, mulliganing feels good. <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> you will probably not mulligan, I think, in less than 5% of your games. You will mulligan, I think, almost every single game because it's just an advantage. You have to For draw sure. the most ridiculous seven cards. It's, just, it's, it's net positive, where in other games, it's negative. Well, think of it this way. Like, you're playing five-card stud in poker, right? Like, you're, everybody's goal is to draw a straight flush. Like, that is obviously... That is what the, the ideal thing is. You draw your cards, and, like, if you had the option to throw three of them away to improve your hand, you're going to do it. There's always going to be something that's not meant to be there. You have too many too many one-drops, so you, you, you make sure that you have an ideal curve to that degree. And I like that. I honestly think that that's okay. And some might, people might think of this as, well, it's kind of a little bit like training wheels to a degree, that it's, you, it's a way to synthetically create more, more games. But what's wrong with that? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. So my issue with the mulligan system um, is simply the power level, to be honest. I think that it just really rewards putting like i don't know if you have a specific card that you play towards like let's say you play towards your dragon fire because you want your turn five spot removal like you will mulligan very heavily to get that and you will also do the same for your one drop so like pascal is is pretty busted and so the reason let's talk about pascal because pascal is probably the best card in the game well one of them at least it's definitely the best card in the amethyst so pascal rapunzel's companion it's a one one storyborn ally one cost can be turned into a resource and it has one pip one one with one pip doesn't sound crazy but it has something else it's camouflage while you have another character in play this character gains evasive this is a evasive in ruby we'll talk about tigger in them it it sucks it's not as good it, it can be okay, but it's not great. Evasive on Pascal is freaking busted because you have a one drop that comes down on turn one, gets you a lore, then you draw something on turn two, and it's very likely, at least with the current set of cards, that you just keep 
getting lore out of Pascal because it has evasive. Your opponent can't interact with it, or they can't interact with it like turn till turn three or turn four. And let's say you have multiple Pascals on the board, right? I have two Pascals on the board. I'm doing this, you know, I'm consistently questing for lore. It has evasive. My opponent can't do anything. My opponent goes, boom, turn four, evasive character. I'm going to attack Pascal and kill it. Um, like, it's tough. So only characters with evasive can challenge. Like, it's just, it's a really strong turn one. It's tempo. I think it's currently like one of the most powerful cards in the game. You know, dropping like a understated, uh, overcosted card, which is what the Ruby evasive cards are so far, in my opinion, because they have one more. Uh, it's just not the best way to deal with Pascal. And Pascal is like such a free roll of, of a one drop, which is, let's talk about the, the con, the, let's contrast this though. So let's look at Maleficent biding her time. This is an Amethyst card as well. Also one drop. And it looks way more powerful at first. So it's a one-one, costs one resource, can be turned into a, a resource, uh, can be turned into a resource. Has two pips, so a one-one, a one resource, one-one with two pips sounds busted. Well, your opponent's going to aggressively mulligan for their one drop as well because things like Maleficent are so dangerous, and you're probably max getting two lore out of Maleficent unless your opponent gets unlucky. I think if you get like four lore out of it, they kind of just lose the game. I mean, that's like twenty-five percent of your win condition. But Pascal mid game early game crazy mid game good end game good like you can be progressing your win condition consistently with a one drop like pascal when you're dropping it on turn six it's crazy so uh, from what you've seen right now um is is big body better is uh mm -hmm. sort of elusiveness better you know like evasion better uh, what what kind of like from what you've played so far in terms of mm -hmm. the the rule sets and whatever, what has been your the cards that you've looked at and said okay this is and this is overperforming this is an all star. Yeah. So actually, the best cards in my opinion um, <laughs> exist in what looks to be the least powerful color on first on, at first glance, which is amber, um, and that is both Moana and Stitch. So shifting Stitch in on turn four, he's a six cost so. I'll just read it out. Stitch Rockstar, three, five, six costs, can be turned into a resource, has shift four, so you can play it on top of another Stitch. The other Stitch, by the way, costs one resource, <laughs> so you play it on turn one. And it says, I mean, the Stitch ability is also busted. It says, adoring fans, whenever you play a character with costs two or less, you may exert them and draw a card, which is a total free roll because there's summoning sickness in this game. But Stitch quests for three and has a five, but it's really tough to deal with unless you dragon fire it. And let me hit you with the double trouble of Amber, which is Moana of Montanui, Storyborn Hero Princess. It's a one six five cost. This card is nuts, resource. dude. I this like... card is the best card in the game. It's super, super annoying. <laughs> like, let me put this in for uh, for example, Scar Scar clears this over two turns. the The fact that things like individual cards clear this over two separate turns, even if they can, because Scar is a five three, which is a red aggressive card. That means Moana is a five cost that comes down and is going to, like, if, you, if you're maintaining board parity, which is pretty common in Lorcana, you're going to get six lore out of it. It's crazy, dude. Um, and also, when this quest, you may ready another princess, a princess character that cannot quest for this turn. Really relevant because basically you have a princess on the board, like Aurora or something like that, if you're playing blue, uh, and then you, you, you quest with that, you do Moana's ability, you un- untap that right you unexert it and now it can't be attacked it can't be cleared except for spot removal uh, what i'm thinking about here is 
uh, well, hold on a second. Elsa's not a princess. That's the that's weird to me. Because yeah, she, well, she's a snow queen. I was thinking like of the combo of having her with, for example, Elsa, where you're just consistently exerting your opponent's characters. Like you exert with Elsa, you ready up, you exert again, and you could essentially freeze out two of their uh, of their of their characters, or just put two of their characters into the into mm. the crosshairs. But the the thing about Moana is, like you said, you know, the the readiness and such that will protect your other princesses is really awesome. But it's mm-hmm. the fact that this this character has a has six willpower and three lore three like you like you mentioned like what is what can deal with her in that in that framework? Like like you need like you said you need Scar to be hitting the board before her. You need two it's a two character trade in this regard. Mm-hmm. And that's to get it, get it off on one turn, right? Six lore progresses almost thirty percent of your win condition. That's ridiculous. Like it's it's really tough to deal with. And if your opponent goes Moana like Moana turn five, Moana turn six, it's like, what do you do? And if they do use that card, which I know we said was bad, like just in time. Dude, if you just in time Moana, like that's that's the only I think right now it's the only reason you play just in time, which is you play a, a character with cost five or less for free. If you just in time Moana on turn three, I don't know how you lose that game. It seems, un- it does seem unlosable. But again, you have four copies of just in time, four copies of Moana in a sixty card deck that you don't really dig through very much. But again, like you mentioned with Mulligan. these super exactly the super aggressive Mulligans, you you basically say I got one of the pieces mulligan six let's go for another one like it's it's you got your peanut butter you you just got to find your jelly and that you're good to go three three lore is just really really a lot and you know in the scar example we talked about scar over two turns it's not what happens what happens is scar attacks us makes it either trade two for you trade two for one to it but um your scar now has a damage counter and then when you go back to my turn i just kill your scar because it's five three it has two health now i just kill your scar and now you're still trying to deal with moana like Mana's a really, really good. Uh, Stitch is really good. In our testing, uh, Amber Amethyst was by far the... Well, it was the best deck, and I would say almost somewhat closely behind was um, Sapphire Ruby Ramp. Uh, Sapphire Ruby Ramp, we can talk about that because I think it's interesting because it, it obviously it plays Dragonfire, which I think holds up the ruby color completely because we talk about card power... In the current set of cards, Dragonfire is just nuts. Um, you have a lot of tr- you have a lot of troubling things that hit the 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 board on your opponent's side, and you need spot removal because of things like Moana, um, and because of things like Maleficent, which is what you're going to be playing in Ruby as well, which is a nine resource. Maleficent's monstrous dragon, seven power, five defense, uh, nine resources, but can be turned into a land, and then it has Dragonfire written on the card, so it's an inherent uh, sort of two for one here, and then. It also gets two pips. The key about um, the key about both Moana and Stitch is that they can be ramped out quicker than you know the cost print in the top left, and they uh, quest for three lore, which is really really a lot. Like Mickey Mouse, uh, Brave yeah. Little Taylor, and Ruby. I know it has four lore, but it costs eight. And the difference between something costing five or cost costing five in Moana's case, or costing four if you shift Stitch. Uh, in his case, uh, in Amber, is massively different. Like, Mickey Mouse is, feels a bit win more, where the other cards are the crux of what Amber's doing right now. So, moving through the the gameplay that you've played a lot and whatnot, and the cards that we've seen, there are certain things that are, are kind of 
ringing a little bit of a, an alarm bell to a degree of, again, we I don't know how many cards we have left to see, but it, we haven't gone through half of what obviously is going to be mm-hmm. playable. Uh, so let's say we have like, let's say we have 25% of the, of the card pool. What I really need to see is more AOE. I think that that is the, one of the concerns that a lot of players, if they don't see it, see it at the end of the the reveal season is if there's no way to to punish uh punish greedy boards or punish or, or find a catch-up mechanic to a degree like every game has one where it's like i'm not developing the board or on the other side it's like i want to punish the overextension of certain players if there's no reason to if there's no incentive to hold back and play it safe in certain regards by sort of avoiding punishes. Like if there's no board clear, if there's no like eight drop board clear or an, a, a nine drop that's like deal, th- you know, three or four damage to everything on the board or, or whatnot. Like if, if there's none of that, then that can be concerning because then it seems like if you just find the curve and and, and develop the biggest board, right, yeah, y- y- the catch. There's no there's no way you can lose as long as you play clean. So it's. It- so far, from what I can tell, it is one of those games where I think if you, um, I think a lo- most card games are like that. Like Hearthstone is definitely like that. Magic stuff. Like if you if you curve out the way your deck wants to curve out, you'll probably win the game. In Flesh and Blood, this is the contrary. In Flesh and Blood, if you draw like your your best cards, like you still have to really think about you know the threat your opponent is presenting you, how you're going to play your game plan. Um, where in those other games you don't. I think that Lorcana is one of those games where. You know, if you do curve out how your deck is designed to, you probably will win, especially if you're going first, because it's there's just not too much interaction right now. But you, like you said, we haven't seen too many cards. <laughs> We've seen that many cards, so there could be a lot of interaction coming. Right now, it's slightly slightly less interaction. Um, yeah, for me, it's not really board clears. I would just like to see more rush, uh, more ability to affect the board when the the card is played. Right. Um, I would say that's. That's the thing I want to see the most. Well, there's still lots left to be to be, um, I guess, uncovered as we as we move forward, and and that's why it's important, I think, for not just you and I, but for everybody who's out there in this community to sort of withhold some of their judgment, like in the same way that I didn't say jack squat about uh, the Last Jedi as a movie until Rise of Skywalker <laughs> came out. I'm gonna I'm I'm reserving. Uh, you know, a final judgment. And I'm sure that once everything is revealed, you and I can kind of go through the entire set and sort of give it a better evaluation, pick, pick our favorite cards and things like that. But ultimately, I think that it's important to just say that, dude, there's like still 75% of this set that comes out and who knows what kind of goodies that are going to be uh, left to be thrown out there. Like they said, like yeah. there are three types of cards. There's characters, there's song, uh, actions, and then there's items, right? Like those are the three types of cards. So we know that there's nothing lurking around the corners that's gonna catch us off guard. But what might catch us off guard are those AOE cards um, that mm-hmm. that I think are necessary. I think that there that has to be necessary. Whether they're overcosted, there has to be a mechanic or there has to be an ability for players to come in and say, "You have been so far ahead of me. Now it's time for me to sort of equalize the game." Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Emerald because I thought Emerald looked really cool. And sure. I think a lot of people will gravitate towards the Emerald Ru- Ruby uh, combo deck, <laughs> which there is a bit of a loop. Um, the Dragonfire loop with Lady Tremaine is a thing. Um, it is really powerful. 
when it happens. So Lady Tremaine is like a particularly dangerous card <laughs> because it doesn't turn into a resource. The effect's really powerful. But if you're playing right now, if you're playing Emerald Ruby, your only target for Lady Tremaine is Dragonfire, which is a good target. But dropping Lady Tremaine by itself on turn six is a 1-5 that does nothing. Unplayable. Um, so it's a good deck when it draws the cards it needs to. A lot of people, t I've seen some talk about a card that I, when I first played it, I was like, Jesus Christ, this card's powerful. Um, and that's Cheshire Cat, not all there, in Emerald. It's a 0-3 Storyborn. It costs three and can be turned into a resource and it says, lose something. When this character is banished, in, is challenged and banished, which means your opponent is attacking it, banish the challenging character. And it reaps for two pips. So a three, a three cost that has a three butt that comes down and reaps for two pips, you have to answer that. So you, you you see where people think this is powerful is because you have to hit it with something that can kill a three butt because you want to kill it in a single turn and it's going to banish that. So the reason why this card is not as powerful as people think is somewhat matchup dependent. Like let's say you're playing against a deck that only plays big, big things, right? Like huge characters that cost a lot of resources. Then yeah, Treasure Cat's going to be amazing because they have to trade their six drop in the Treasure Cat and it gets balanced. Uh, banished. But what happens most of the time is you're playing against somebody. They've reaped with their one drops. And now their one drops are just sitting there unexerted because that's what happens in a lot of games of Lorcana. You play your Treasure Cat. You reap with it. They trade their one drops into it. Let's say they have two one drops. They trade, you know, attack it for one, then attack it for two. The second one drop gets banished. So the ability is not as crazy as everybody thinks. So I think that people, the use case they see for this card is, is that somebody has to trade their their Goofy or their Tigger into it. And it feels great then. Uh, but I think that, you know, if you play people that mulligan correctly towards one drops, they will just remove it that way. And I think Dresher Cat actually trades down in that scenario. But still one of the best cards in Emerald, to be honest. Like, automatic slot in. But... Uh, I, I do believe that a lot of the a lot of the people that play this game will the first card that they think is broken is probably going to be Cheshire Cat. Yeah, people are always going to complain about stuff that. Well, like, it's not complaining. I just I don't think it's as powerful as people think, and I no. I just want to play. But people will. I mean, yeah. we've played cards long enough where as soon yeah. as something new comes out that people don't know how to shut down or answer adequately right out of the gate, it's immediately you know pitchforks and torches the whole way through. Um, I want to. Again, I don't, again, I'm not trying to. This isn't, you know, me trying to just crap on the game. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm, what I want to do is I want to bring up concerns of elements that I think can possibly be added to the game down the line, or things I'd like to see. And one of those for me is um, not having any type of interaction on your during your opponent's turn. Where that won't change, unfortunately. It did change. It will not change. Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's inherent to the like the thesis of the game, right? And and that was the part. Like when I was first of all, I want to give super props to uh, Disney Lorcana Ravensburger for doing those videos, those learn to play videos. I think were very well done, and I think they were super concise. They were pre they were precise, concise, and just very very well separated and presented. Those were great. But while I was sitting through those and watching those and, and sort of taking it in, one of the things was I'm like, oh, damn. It was basically like, okay, and then you're done. And it's like, it, ha it really, really, it hasn't happened much. I guess in Hearthstone, that's part of it, like where you just do your turn and you're done. Yeah. A lot of games, uh, digital games kind of have that feel to a degree. But I'm used to now having some sort of agency, some sort of influence on my opponent's decision tree when they want to do X, Y, Z, and I shove like a, 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 a B in there somewhere to sort of throw them off kilter. That's the one thing I think that, 
like you said, it's it's not going to happen. But I would love, 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 love for them to maybe explore if they haven't already, which I'm sure they have. But yeah, this, I, I would, I would love for them to just discuss why they want to stray away from a card. I can tell you if you want. So me. like um, asynchronous turns is so this is fully asynchronous turns. Like they're like in flesh and blood. There, the turns are async, but there's a illusion of sync, like synchronous turns because when your opponent attacks you, you can block. So you're using cards in hand to block. Um, Hearthstone, on the other hand, is completely asynchronous. You play your turn, they play your turn. Uh, this game is like Hearthstone. And there's a huge trade-off. Asynchronous turn structure in a card game is incredibly archaic and very boring. And it doesn't, it does not mesh with the modern trend of, I don't know, human beings at all, which is shorter attention spans and more time actually interacting like you know it, it just doesn't make any sense but the reason they did it is because it's really simple like when you start getting into synchronous turns or even you know like semi-synchronous turns which is something like magic where there's 30 windows the game gets a lot more complicated not a little it's like exponentially like a ton more complicated but you look at even Lorcana, there's not there's no there's no agency even in combat combat is asynchronous right like when your opponent is attacking your your characters you are not doing anything you're just sitting yeah. there you've made decisions prior prior turn to expose them to said combat which is why combat's not really a thing in this game um they did it for a reason and the reason is because it's simple but um yeah i think that <laughs> it's a weird choice in 2023 where you've had you know games like marvel snap come out which is obviously utilizes the digital medium to create this synchronous the synchronous game loop but um yeah i mean this is about as asynchronous as it gets the the idea would be is that you know at high level competitive play you're thinking about your turn while your opponent plays out their turn and that's what happens in hearthstone it is an incredibly deep game and it, at the highest level it is challenging to actually execute your game plan in the amount of time you have because of the roping system um but lacan is not like that it is very much my turn and while I do that, you sit there and twiddle your thumbs. Now your turn. I do the same, which in my opinion is overall a, uh, I think it's poor, poor design. Um, but it's been chosen in order to make things simple. Like poor design, I guess, to a degree of maybe based off what we're used to, because we play card games that have a million different variables to float at any given turn, uh, you know, to a degree. But at the same time, playing games like, um, Hearthstone playing games like, you know, I've played Gwent, I've played uh, cards like World War II card game. I've played a whole bunch of different games that have no agent, that have no, you know, there's no interaction on your own turn. Mythgard, for example, and whatnot, and and it's they're successful models. Like that, they they do work. It does nothing. Not everything has to be, has to have a stack, as it were. Yeah. But I think that the appeal of this is, like you mentioned. Um, or as we've mentioned in the past, is that the, the, the target audience of this is that it's not, it, they're not targeting us. They're not targeting Brendan Patrick and Matt DeMarco to, to play this game. They're targeting, um, you know, people of our age group, sure, but they also want to target younger pay players who don't want to have to worry about getting gooned by someone like us at a tournament where because the rules are are more simplistic. And yeah, people like us with all the experience might have a better success because we understand the inherent tenets of, of card games in general, and we can succeed in that regard. But we don't have that extra luggage of, I know when to interact on the stack. I know when to play this. I know when to, you know, do my end of turn effects and whatever. This is a very, 
you know, ba- it's 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 a hamburger that is, you know, bread, meat, and like two condiments. It's not like yeah. those hipster burgers that are ten feet tall. So it's not inherently simple. Um, I think that they've made the choice uh, for the sake of simplicity. But one of one of the most popular asynchronous games ever created um, is incredibly complex, and that's chess. It's yeah. completely asynchronous. It's completely asynchronous. But it's really complicated. And I think, unfortunately, I think it's something that adds to the complication of competitive chess is the chess clock. Without the chess clock, I mean, yes, it's still complicated. But in a situation like Larkana, if you're playing it like competitively, you're play- it, it's, it's going to be freaking boring when your opponent is taking forever on their turn and you just sit there and do nothing. And I don't think there's any way around that. It's going to suck. Like, not the game's going to suck, but that aspect of the game is not going to be fun. Um, maybe at the highest level of competitive play, like, you will just be utilizing that time to think about your turn. But because there is no clock, and, you know, I mean, that's just how card games go, like, it's just going to be really, like, really boring as your opponent sits there and just takes up time to play. Like, they're just playing their game. You're spectating. That's it. They've had this conversation about... Uh about game clocks and stuff like because of olden mirrors and flesh and blood and how long it takes and stuff like that and it's like i've played games where i'm like dude i took up like seven percent of the clock and you know it'd be, it'd be easier in this game because in for flesh sure and blood, you're passing priority in this absolutely game, no pri- yeah, yeah. That, that's the point i want to get to is that asynchronous gameplay is, is a better environment for game clocks but i think that game clocks to a degree also become other ways to sort of shark your opponent and, and be greasy in that regard i understand the necess- the necessity of it but uh, you've played a bunch what's the average time of a game depends on your well it depends on your opponent <laughs> obviously at this point um but no it was like 20 minutes maybe 20 30 minutes 50 minutes uh, to be honest sure and you know because the game is a is completely asynchronous if this aspect of your opponent taking an egregiously more amount of time than you, and it's just like really uninteractive and not fun, uh, and things time out, which I know that there's like judges and there's like this really sort of wishy-washy concept of what is and what is not slow play. Like in a game like this, you could actually institute, institute some sort of clock system at the highest level. And I think that everybody would, I mean, the people competing, not casual people, would have a better experience for it potentially uh, but we'll have to see it it mainly stems off like is it a problem with people timing people out and taking you know 80 percent of the time with a patient takes 20 but uh yeah my core point here <laughs> as we waffle along is sitting there doing nothing while your opponent plays their turn is boring what we got to do is we're gonna have uh we're gonna have an episode about etiquette I think that that's mm-hmm. necessary. I, I feel like every podcast card game is going to do like the an, their etiquette episode, and yeah. I think I honestly believe that. I think Lorcana is going to be a game that is going to introduce a lot of people to card games. I think that especially paper ones, because a lot of people are going to play the digital stuff for sure. Whether it's you know casual style, you know mobile games that you're not playing against anybody, you're just collecting cards and spending your in-game currency, to the more established stuff like like Hearthstone or Runeterra or whatever, where you're actually playing against other players. There's no etiquette that you have or that you've established because you haven't sat across from somebody and smelled them and looked at them and and like heard them rifling through their cards and it drives you freaking insane. But you can't say stuff because there's etiquette involved, Brendan Patrick. Mm. And I swear, I think that this is should be a good episode. As soon as they as soon as they announce like the first 
you know, um, local play tournaments and such like that and into the, the bigger organized play announcements. We, it's a, it's a duty of ours to do, to sort of explain to people how not to be jerks. Um, I would actually go the opposite. I would say we should differentiate ourselves. Do a, do a episode on how to angle shoot. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Let me call <laughs> how gonna, to angle shoot with um, special yeah, guest, I mean, Matthew folks. Absolutely. Oh, God. So like, uh, yeah, in-person car, in-person card games are inherently like so much more respectful there's so much like i don't know I, just people being human beings rather than digital card games like you play a couple games of marvel snap you're gonna get emoted every single time you lose <laughs> it's just like that just doesn't happen in paper um yeah maybe we should go over some of the other colors so we talked about pretty most colors um i guess the last one here is steel mm-hmm. uh steel had like the least tools to work with but does have some very powerful cards. Captain Hook as is as good as we thought it was. Um, Fire the Cannons is very good because it gets rid of those pesky one-drops and it can remove something like Pascal. Uh, there is a new card that was dropped, which is Captain Hook, <laughs> Captain of the Jolly Roger. Uh, let me read out those cards, the original ones. So Captain Hook, Force Will Do Us, the first one I talked about is a 1-2. Uh, it costs one resource and it has the ability Challenger. Plus two while challenging this character gets plus two and it has one pip. This card was worse than I thought because it only works on aggression and your opponent you know if they're opening themselves up to be by captain hook it's by their own volition so if they see captain hook they can play around it you know is the ideal um then the other card was fire the cannons so this is an action fire the cost one resource cannot be turned into a resource this deal two damage to chosen character so you know two damage to whatever you want it's really really powerful in this game so far and the new card which actually just makes steel so much better is captain captain of the jolly roger it's a three four cost four cannot be turned into a resource um it says double the powder when you play this character you may return an action card named fire the cannons from your discard your hand in a, uh. in a quest for one pip so this is a good card this is a really good card because one of the one of the best cards in steel right now is fire the cannons probably the reason to play steel to be honest um is for fire the cannons and hercules true hero which is a three three that cost three can be turned into a resource has effectively taunt this game mm-hmm which is called bodyguard. So, yeah, uh, steel had the least to work with, but it was still really powerful because of fire of the cannons. It feels like, um, you know, Captain Hook with the. I think that like when you were playing, were you finding that you were just running out of cards really fast with between the establishing new mm-hmm. ink and developing a board? Like you're two, you're yeah. you're dropping two and drawing one, so you're gonna run out real fast. Did you? Not- not as bad as I thought. So there was a game that I played called where, um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like that where you were making a decision between drawing from the resource deck or drawing from your main deck and, you know, your resource deck would become a resource, obviously. So you in the, eventually, like even in the mid game, you just both players would be top decking and sucked. In this game, it's definitely a thing, but it's not as bad as I would think um, because you kind of just you know you have your target amount of resources that you want to get and then you know it's not like you're forced to play it every turn so eventually you're just kind of just drawing cards unless you're trying to make enough resources to start double spelling or something like that um so i would say yes it happens and it's a negative where both players have one card in hand or just top decking to try to win the game i i really hate that aspect but it's also a lot of it comes from most likely we're playing with extremely underpowered decks um but it happens, but it's really not as frequent or as bad as you would expect when you look at this from like the top level of its base design. Sounds good. All right. Uh, anything else you want to hit on before we hit the mailbag? Mm, let me just look. 
through the cards. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, think... I'm, 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 I'm yeah. While you're looking, I just want to mention like the there's mm. if a game seems simplistic, that's because it's the design space that you're looking at. The rule set are very tight. They're very concise in that regard. Doesn't mean that the game is not complex or layered. It just seems like the the you know just because there's you can wrap up a how-to video in like four minutes doesn't mean that there's a lot of layers to it. And that's the one thing that I'm very excited to try is once the cards are basically all out there, I want to get down and dirty with all these co like color combinations and such. Like I really mm -hmm. want to see what the competitive aspect of this game is because that's what appeals to me. That's what appeals to me about most card games is the, co the competition aspect. And what I'm really looking forward to are the kind of Tr the tribalism within the game that'll be like well i'm an like I, you know you know how people in magic are like oh i really hate blue players you know like mm -hmm. i really hate blue players i really hate esper players i hate you know like i, I want to see how that translates i want to see how these ideologies finally kind of become solidified where people when you show up and that first drop that they have once you see the card or the color you're like i know precisely the kind of goon you are well let's talk about why amethyst is actually is even included because we only talked about amber so it's actually because of pascal of course very good card but it's because of mickey mouse mickey mouse wayward sorcerer that's looking busted right now it's a three four it costs four it can be turned into a resource but the ability you may you may pay one less resource to play broom characters <laughs> here we go ceaseless worker when one of your broom characters is banished in a challenge you may return that card to your hand and it it quests for two pips let's look at the broom the one broom we have, which is Magic Broom Bucket Brigade. It's a 2-2, two -two, cost 2, can be turned into a resource that says Sweep. When you play this character, you may shuffle a card from any discard into its player's deck in a, in a quest for one pip. So what these the reason why this is busted is you play Mickey Mouse and you never card, and it really can't be dealt with. It needs spot removal. So your 4-cost Mickey Mouse has to be killed by something like a Dragonfire which costs five or the five cost removal, which is in blue uh, or Sapphire. So both removals are five costs that can deal with Mickey mouse. It's four, and I assume that, you know, like fire the cannons, you're not getting two fire the cannons. It's just ridiculous for this, but with the magic, you put Mickey mouse down, you play the magic brooms for one or even zero. If you have two Mickey mouses and those, what those magic brooms do, they're two twos is anytime your opponent quests, anytime your opponent attacks anything, your magic broom, just clear it for free. Because your magic brooms trade, they go back to your hand, you play them for free, and then every time they hit the board, you shuffle your opponent's worst card back into their deck. It's so good, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. That's the best. That Amber Amethyst is the best deck. If anybody listening to this is like, no, my red deck, my ruby deck is so good. Money match. Let's go. Right. <laughs> it was waiting for you to become the degenerate that i know you are i'm so excited for this like i'm really geared up for all the local tournaments that are going to sort of start popping up i've i've spoken to uh like realm games i've spoken to minmax games i had like dinner with the guy who owns minmax and he's like we got to talk about lorcana i was like yes we do let's talk about lorcana dude like absolutely um so the competitive juices are already flowing out there in in the um like the retailer space which is cool but we still have left to, or there's still a lot to be desired when it comes to OP announcements because we don't know what the high end is, right? Like, we don't know what the end of the rainbow is, where that pot mm. of gold lies. And, yeah. I mean, again. You can extrapolate from the local game store announcement, which was they're doing local game store rewards based off of attendance rather than performance. So I would say that doesn't, that 
if you were to extrapolate from that, it's bad for what we want OP to be. Well, ultimately, it's bad. Do I care if people get <laughs> rewards for competing at their local? No, I, that's obviously not where my head is at. But I would say that like the approach that they're taking there sort of signals maybe a more casual approach to organized play overall, which could be no major tournaments. I feel it. Well, but I... grassroots tournaments, like you said, been maxed from games. Grassroots uh, tournament organizers in flesh and blood putting on better tournaments than the publisher right now, in my opinion. Um, so they could definitely make a splash. This kind of, but it's just like if you're talking about like world championships, big stuff from the publisher, we just have no idea. Yeah, no, that's a good example. Like Realm Games has paired up with Minmax, uh, Green Tree Sports Cards, a whole bunch of others, Kayfabe cards. And they're like, all right, well, we'll just do it ourselves. Like, mm. I, I, it takes money, it takes organization, but they've done it with other card games fairly successfully. Like, even the small scale tournaments, like the the brawl, like the first realm brawl for Flesh and Blood, it had like over, like almost a it, it, simultaneously with another like hundred thousand dollar tournament that a lot of people opted to go to. This mm. tournament still drew in about a hundred competitors and was. Uh, concurrently streaming to about yeah. fourteen to fifteen hundred people. Like, there's interest in these grassroots things, and I think yeah. that if uh, this is a whole conversation for another day, but ultimately, yeah. if 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 OP doesn't occur, I don't think people are going to be worried. There's someone well, who's going to pick up that mantle for sure. And just to heighten how I know this is Lorcana podcast, but they will be in Lorcana, and just to heighten how important and just incredible the work they do is, the publisher of the game which the publisher does a lot of good work for OP and we've talked about it on this podcast, but the publisher who makes tens of millions of dollars puts up, doesn't do coverage for battle hard level tournaments. Doesn't it puts up less money, less rewards. Like these are grassroots organizers that are competing and putting on better tournaments in my opinion, than a company that makes tens of millions of dollars year over year. So yeah. like these guys are serious about making great organized play. So them coming into Loricana, yeah. we don't, we don't really need, ravensburger to do it in the end but it would be great oh yeah for sure like don't get me wrong well we want a world championship we want nationals and we want the equivalent of like you know a grand prix circuit or something like that mm -hmm. uh all right so that sort of concludes our discussion about the gameplay our first initial uh, impressions of the cards and how they interact but we do have the the spilled ink mailbag so let's dig into that one you want to go first Yep. So the first one comes from Tommy Pizza. Tommy Pizza says, with the release of songs, as a... what Disney song would you like to see as a card and what would it do? Brendan's answer is obvious. And so this is mostly for Flake. Well, if it was uh, Make a Man Out of You, the card should have you in your... Oh, you think that's mine? Mine's oh, is that not that? What the hell? Twist. Well, okay. So the, yeah, clearly there's the sequel is not anything close to the original because now you're throwing a curveball at me. What would yours be then? The Bare Necessities from Jungle Book. Okay, maybe... I mean, you have talked about like your, your appreciation of Jungle Book. But that's a great song. Yeah, that is a good song. I don't know. I'm probably like Hakuna Matata. Is that even a card already? I think Hakuna Matata would be really damn good. Like a no worries thing. And this is how it would be. This is how I envision Hakuna Matata that would be like lore friendly. Hakuna Matata, you know, no cares, no worries. I think it would be, it would cost a decent amount, like six or seven. But it says all your exerted characters cannot be challenged. So mm. it's just like, ah, hands off, mofo. And it would cost you a lot. But it, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind. I think that that's what I would do. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be powerful. Follow up you if you want. I was gonna sing. 
who would be the funniest character to sing that song in game? Uh, since I imagine that's what they do thematically when you tap someone to pay for a song. So the mm. true story, when it said you may whatever to sing the song for free, I thought you had to sing the actual damn song to get it no to way. play for free. I swear to God, on the first glance, that's why I'm an idiot, first of all. <laughs> but but and and that was the first that was for me the biggest red flag where I'm like, okay, if you can just like sing stuff instead of paying for it, Meta then this yeah, yeah, then Meta this that. well, that's what it is. Like MetaZoo does stuff if like oh, if you're within ten feet of a plant, like this card gets like plus. Yeah, if if you flatulate. Minus ten attack. <laughs> yeah, so that's that was my first thing. I think that the funniest character to sing anything, frankly, is uh, Danny DeVito's character in Hercules. Like, because oh Danny yeah. DeVito's in Hercules. I he totally is. forgot. Yeah, he's the trainer, and he does have a, a singing part in that, and it's absolutely horrid. <laughs> but like singing, hearing Danny DeVito sing Hakuna Matata, like you could f hear it in your mind. And I'm on a binge of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, so it ain't pretty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, this next question is actually uh, this question. How many more cards do you think Ravensburger provide uh, to us until the game launches? And do you think that the really good cards were already revealed? This is a great question. How many cards? Uh, that's, that's I don't know. I do think they'll spoil the entire set before we get it. Um, but yeah, it's just speculation. But the, the interesting thing here, how many really good cards think were revealed? And I think that's a great question because if the game fail feels if the gameplay feels kind of bland right now, then you're like, okay, well, we're certainly we're going to get the better cards later. I'm not saying the gameplay feels bad, but if that was the case, my case would be, I think that we've gotten a lot of the good. We've gotten a lot of the significance because the cards that we've been playing with are marquee art on some of the starter decks, which I think is rel like super relevant. Like those are major cards. Are they the, the constructed build rounds? I'm not sure. And those are the cards that I'm really interested in, but Mickey Mouse Wayward Sorcerer, which is a freaking busted card, is on the Amber Amethyst box with Moana, which is also a busted card. <laughs> they're, bo they're both on the starter box, which, by the way, if you're like, where's my value? How do I spike kids at my local tournament? Buy the Amber Amethyst box, for sure. Oh, you don't already tell people all these nasty <laughs> things. Uh, this was from Lorcana Germany, by the way, this question. Um, my suspicion is that they're going to be trickling out cards ongoing and there's no reason that they're going to withhold any um i think that it's that's just the way to go right now is that you give out basically everything uh the one outlier i would say is that flesh and blood typically doesn't exp uh, doesn't reveal their fabled card they're like one of chase card in every set they let people organically go out there buy the product and then reveal it in that way now the way things go now is that they allow retailers to do their openings and share that information. So that information gets leaked before release anyways. Some retailer out there opens like 40 cases, finds it, posts it, and that's busted. I don't think there is anything of that ilk in, in this uh, in this game. My guess is that there's they're gonna release everything. And I think that what you said, Brandon, is true. They needed good cards out and a, a, a decent amount of unique and, and powerful cards out when the rules were leaked. So that people mm -hmm. don't look at the rules, look at the basic Bobo cards and say this game sucks. So I still, I still think it could be the basic cards, but I think with your first set, like your first alpha set, you're more likely to put out some of the more, the more, uh, I don't know. I don't know. The good cards, right? Like, like at least cards that you're proud that you're proud of their design. I think, you know, if it's like your second, third set, maybe you trickle it out and we have some exciting. But I do think that, you know, they're trying to get as much eyes as possible right now. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that, you know, Mickey Mouse and Moana being on the starter deck 
and being as powerful as they are, because I are, think they are fundamentally powerful. What Lorcana is, I, I don't think that those are like, you know, these are like the sleeper common, like common cards that are going to be in like a popper deck. No, I think that these are, these are actually good cards. Uh, last question. This one coming in from Hobbies and Happiness, a wonderful podcast and uh, great people there. Um, after doing some playtesting, Brennan, has your opinion on damage counters changed at all? Yeah, it changed. So if if combat was like Hearthstone and the board state wasn't limited, which it isn't Hearthstone, you can only have so many things on the board, then I think they would be really annoying. Um, but because, yeah, I mean, in my testing, combat was just not... It wasn't a huge feature in the game. It was kind of just like a secondary thing. Like, yes, if you're if you're inefficiently trading, you're going to lose a lot. And I think that uh, that's going to be one of the biggest skill gaps immediately is correctly trading with your characters and knowing when to quest and when to not. But um, it was more like something like quest, and it would just kind of get removed, or it would get you know target removal or something like that. It wasn't it wasn't back and forth combat like Hearthstone. It was not that at all. So, yeah, you weren't you weren't maintaining a lot of damage counters, to be honest. And there's you wouldn't like you wouldn't fire the cannons, which is deal damage at like a Moana. So your mana isn't just sitting there as a one four. Like nobody would do that. Nobody would shoot a fire the cannons at a Moana that wasn't exhausted. It doesn't make any sense. It's just uh -huh. a one four now, and you can't attack it. That's the thing about like in Lorcana when they're not exhausted, you can't attack them. So those things just don't happen. And because of that, I find most of my cards don't have damage counters on them. My favorite players are the ones who, like, on turn one, use the coin to use their hero power in Hearthstone. I'm like, I'm going to win this game. <laughs> I totally am going to win this game. The uh, coin tap for the Warlock. Oh, coin tap for Warlock is actually, like, you can kind of think of it, depending if you're playing, like, old school handlock, where you have it all factored in about when you want to get the Mountain Giant out, when you want to get this out, whatever. Like, it all... It all happens, but everyone co tries to coin out the mountain giant. It's always the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, there we go. So thanks, everybody, again, for submitting questions to uh, Spill Link. We do appreciate it, just as always. And, yeah, um, we're going we're, we're gonna to stick to the two-week schedule. We, we heard some wonderful um, words from people on Reddit who were saying that they enjoy the podcast, and we appreciate you. But the schedule's going to remain the same until, what, until, I guess, until there's, like, Honestly, like major spoiler season, like when you when they start, like they're like pumping out the set and the game is like basically playable, then I think it's time because there's there's so much content that goes around like the actual aspect of card gaming that you can pod about, but I think it's best saved for last. Like I think if we were doing podcasts week by week and we did like etiquette and then we did you know supplies and you know general strategy, draft strategy, limited strategy, we just by the time Lorcana releases, like all that content might burn us and everyone listening out. Yeah. So I think that we wait until we get a, a large amount of the card place and the game is basically playable. And then, boom, all that good stuff. Stay tuned. That's all we'll say. But we're very excited again for, uh, for getting our hands on the product. We've been playing it, and that's going to be exciting. So we'll be back in two weeks. Brand new episode in two weeks. So if you haven't already, please follow us here. Give us a five-star review. That really does so much for us on Spotify and on the whatever podcast platform. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Leave a comment. What cards have you played with? What cards are you most excited for so mm. far? What do you think of the rules? Hit them What's up the over best there. Deck? Yeah, what's the best deck? Brendan already knows, so it's not even a it's not even a conversation. It's more just you being wrong, apparently. But it's okay. No, I'm, on... I'm open to it. You know, you just gotta 
put your money where your mouth is, though. <laughs> I'm on your side. Don't you worry about it. You can catch me on Twitter at WatchFlake. You can catch Brendan at BrendanAPG. You can catch the podcast at PodCannon. So thank you so much for listening to PodCannon. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks, everyone.